So the victim complains, criticizes, gossips, frankly falls into cynicism and nihilism and just wants to give up. We all get hit, all of us, in our own idiosyncratic way. We've all experienced trauma. We all are currently facing challenges, full stop. The shift between victim and creator is simple. Rather than complaining about all the things you aren't getting, slow down, ask yourself, what do I want? What is up, you sexy stoics? It is your boy, Toga King, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. Today, we're talking with my friend, philosopher and CEO, Brian Johnson. He's the founder and CEO of Heroic.us. Brian has started two other social networking sites. One of them is called Zads, and he has sold them, as well as he's raised over $25 million in crowdfunding, which is one of the largest amounts in history. He's got a new book out called Arete, totally butchering that, but it is about activating your heroic potential, which we're going to, I'm going to poke on him about this because I think this is really interesting. And his book specifically is about ancient wisdom, modern science, and practical tools to survive and excel in today's world. So we have a really good conversation that has a lot of back and forth about woo-woo and what are actually true principles to fulfilling an extraordinary life. In this conversation, you're going to learn three gigantic things. How do you stop being a victim and move into being a creator? Number two, how do you work on your emotional masterclass? When can you be sad? When should you show rage? When can you hold on to grief? How do you pause? And lastly, this whole stoic stuff. What is it and how can you integrate it effectively into your life, if at all? Brian's also got a brand new book coming out November 14th called Arete, A-R-E-T-E. You can find out more on Amazon.com or on his launch website, Heroic.us. The book is called Arete. If you enjoyed this episode, go back and check out this episode we did with Leo Babuta. A lot of people gave me feedback that they love this episode. It has a bunch of crossover takeaways between Zen and Stoicism. You can find that as episode 322 in the feed. Before we dive into the show, join my book launch team. We're closing the doors, I believe, January 1st. The book comes out after that, and you're going to hear a lot more about it later. But if you want behind the scenes, if you want to have private accountability, if you want to meet other really interesting people, chat with me on Slack, send an email to book at okdork.com. That's book at okdork.com. Also, special pre-show shout out to listener James Lepine. How do I say Lepine? Noah Kagan is a voice worth listening to. He lost out on millions at Facebook and went on to create his own successful company. He's honest and genuinely cares about helping others. Check this out. <sighs> Thank you, James, and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. We have the best people listening to this show and taking a lot of action and kicking ass in their own lives. If you want to shout out in a future episode, leave a review wherever listening to this podcast. I check every single one of them. Here's the question I was going to start with, Brian. I knew you were going to be positive, and it was irritating me because I didn't want to be in a positive mood. What's up with you and your positivity? <laughs> well, what mood did you want to be in? I wanted to be angry. I knew you were also going to ask me, like, I don't want you to ask me about me. I just want to know about you. Let me marinate in my yeah. triste and anger and my bravo. Yeah, so my thing is, this is a Trevor Moad concept that we want to move past positivity and negativity to what he calls neutrality. But then I go one step further of, all right, well, what do you want? So I like to describe it as targeted thinking. So Aristotle, the ancient Greeks would tell us we're teleological. Telos is a goal. Happy people, flourishing people, those with deep meaning and joy, which isn't just positivity. Oh, and you lost me with, once you talk about old Socrates people, I, I zone out a little bit. So my question practically is, well, what do you want? If you want to be angry, then be angry. You know, if you want to do something with that anger, do something with that anger. If you want to be positive, you know, I got an 11-year-old and a six-year-old. So literally, right before we come on, he said something. I'm like, what did you say, dude? Like, four minutes before we're coming on. And I feel that rage for me, the anger in me arising of, come on, dude, we don't say things like that. And we had this little thing. 
went back out literally two minutes before we went on. I'm like, all right, buddy, what did you say? And what did you mean to say? And repaired it. Because I didn't want to be in a negative state with him and derode my relationship with him. What I want is to have a great relationship with him where I find my way to manage my intensity and help him shape his thinking and how he shows up. So I went in, I repaired that literally two minutes before we came on. So it's not about positive or negative. It's about what do you want? And I find that I produce at a higher level. I show up in my energy, my work, and my love. When I guide my mind, I direct my mind, which is the Aristotelian idea. I focus my mind on what I want, and then I do the thing I need to do to get it. But again, I I literally just went through this (laughs) three minutes before we hopped on today. Question is, are you using it? using you, right? Yeah, I think that's a great call out. It was interesting. I was on a bike ride this morning and I'm going through the hills and I'm probably in a weird way punishing myself for the anger versus embracing it or punishing myself. And I was okay with that. I get to the top of a hill and I'm just like, I fucking am mad. And there's a guy and he's got a goat on a leash. He's walking his goat. And it was really hard not to smile. I was like, is that a goat? He's like, see, I'm like, what's the name? He's like, Gordy, Gordito the goat. And I thought it was fascinating in that moment how even that kind of situation can just change our mood. Just seeing a little goat or lately, sometimes I put on these like YouTube comedian clips or shorts about funny stuff and really hard not to just change it. But yeah, I don't know. My girlfriend and I were talking, I'm I'm like extra sensitive this week, but Brian's always positive, positive. I know sometimes it's okay to not be so positive. (laughs) It's okay. A hundred percent. Yeah. And that's the wise perspective. And again, wisdom is the ultimate virtue that all the ancient philosophers came back to. Anger is appropriate. Sadness is appropriate. Grief is appropriate. Rage is appropriate. But at some point, we want to step back and go, all right, what am I going to do about it? And that we can continue to replay the thoughts and do the things that don't help us get what we want. Or we can step back and say, all right, I'm experiencing this emotion. Let me separate myself from the emotion. So Phil Stutz, my coach, has a great frame for it. He's like, all right, Step out of the emotion of the thing. He calls it cosmic rage. And he actually, this is one of the most important things to embrace. I feel flashes of cosmic rage, frankly, like on a daily basis. This morning I had something, I looked at something the team did, and I'm like, who did that? <laughs> Literally, it's like, it was a tiny little thing, dude. We updated what we're doing in the app store and they italicized a word. This is the kind of thing that irritates me. It's the most stupid, mundane thing, but this is how small my thinking is at times. I'm literally feeling a flash of rage. <laughs> yeah. On that t- Dude, I'm not italicizing shit. I'm nervous. If, if this podcast goes out, I don't even know what I can call it. Right? I, I think it's one part just not guilting ourselves. And this isn't when we have whatever emotion it is. But the second thing, I think it's really fascinating what things are really triggering us. I was in a meeting yesterday and I just I felt really disrespected. And then my ego like came out to fight. Like Noah took a step back and the ego came forward. Yeah. So I think it's just kind of interesting to notice these moments. So like on Fridays today, I go and review myself, and one of them is my consistency of my behavior. Hmm. And this week is definitely a three out of five. And I think it's fine to be angry, but the consistency of how am I collected in this moment? Yep. Dude. What kind of stuff is triggering you? I love these stories. and uh, I'm so happy to be able to go and paint the picture of my ridiculous neuroticism at times, and just that perfectionism and silliness. But then Viktor Frankl comes to mind. So Viktor Frankl, deeply inspired by the Stoics, like he's a practicing Stoic. Of course, in Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about his experience in concentration camps in World War II. Lost his pregnant wife, lost his family. Here he is in a concentration camp. I'm complaining about it. Tell us has words. You're complaining about being disrespected in a meeting. This guy's in a concentration camp. It's not positivity, dude. It's in that world he had a choice. 
And the way he frames it up is in between a stimulus and your habitual response is a choice. And in that space between the stimulus and your response is where your freedom exists. And this is what the ancient Stoics said. You need to exercise your freedom, your thoughts, your behaviors after the initial push. So when you're disrespected or you're hit in the face, it's natural to have an immediate response. The Stoics conceded that. But then after that, second or two or three, you have a choice. And you either take control of that choice or you don't. And so that's my thing is stimulus response. Can I choose better responses? And that's exciting to me. Like then it's not negative or positive. It's what do I want? I want to create a life in which I show up powerfully. And consistency, we haven't talked a lot about my work, but this is it. Every single thing I come back to in my work is consistency. It is all about consistency on the most basic, fundamental habits that you think and you know keep you plugged in. If I were going to you know, look at you and we were talking about you, I'd look at your trip from the U.S. to Spain. And I'd see that you're probably a little tired. Your physiology, you're a little bit worn down. When I am a little bit worn down and I'm traveling, I'm a different person. I could bring my wife in right now, dude, and she'd tell you the 101 things I do that are annoying, that get even worse when I don't have a good night of sleep. I slept nine hours last night, dude. I'm feeling good. Let's go. I can talk about these things playfully. Yeah. Me on six hours of sleep. Me jet lag. Oh, shoot. Different person. I got to try even harder to be the guy that I aspire to be. Be the guy you aspire to be. Well, I was wondering that before we got in because we've known each other for a very long time. And you sold two businesses. Just for some of the people who don't know, you sold like philosopher notes? Yeah. So I very quick biographical sketch. Half of the last 25 years as a founder CEO, the other half as a teacher, a philosopher, a lover of wisdom. As a founder CEO at 24, I started a company called E-Teams, 1999. It was basically ESPN for youth sports. At the time, the phrase content management system didn't exist. I created one that allowed team moms to create websites for their kids playing sports. Little League Baseball wound up using it. We won a business plan competition, 1999.com, boom, all of those things. So I sold that when the market crashed in 2000, whole nother chat, whatever. And then I spent some time reading and writing and thinking. Had enough, a little bit to take some time off, took a few years off. Then I came back pre-Facebook and created a social platform that John Mackey of Whole Foods invested in, nearly bought for people who wanted to make a difference in the world. Then I sold that. It was called Zods. So that's Zods, which it's Dutch for seed, right? I'm like, that's cool, seed. Everyone's got a latent potential within themselves that they just need to express. That's cool, until I found out it's actually closer to sperm, which was considerably less cool. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. Slightly different than what I thought it meant. Anyway, I did that. So half my time as a founder CEO, the other half as a teacher and philosopher, we've done some stuff that's been scientifically validated to change people's lives. And my big thing is ancient wisdom, modern science, frankly, common sense that's put into practice. That's the the quick nutshell bio. I was just saying, my name in Spanish means shit. It's to take a shit. And so people are like, oh, dude, you're Noah shit. And I was like, that, <laughs> that's impressive. That was cool. Yeah. You raised my game with his eyes. That's fantastic. I wasn't trying to plus one you. I was just trying to like stack. <laughs> Let's keep doing these like naming things. I think when I hear about like stoic and old stuff, I just zone out so hard. <laughs> like whenever, whenever there's like some title in a podcast or YouTube, it's like stoic wisdom. I'm like, nope, not interested. I feel like it's overdone. I feel like it's not wisdom. I feel like a lot of it is like be neutral to the situation. And I don't know if that's actually reality. 
And I, I do think we're probably similar and there were beings from back in the day and we're beings today, but some of it just feels, I don't know, almost not authentic for me. My gut is you haven't studied it deeply. Have you read Epictetus's discourses and Enchiridion and Aurelius's meditations and Seneca's letters from a Stoic and the other Zero. source material? Yeah, go read it, dude. Then you're allowed to have an informed opinion on the subject. I think that to be playfully pushing back on you the way you are me, I think the way it's marketing, you're absolutely right. I think stoicism is a thing. So people want to ride the next big thing. So all of a sudden you see these mostly guys talking about these ideas. But if you go to the source material, it's astonishing. And it's as relevant today as it was 2000 years ago. And I, again, I've spent a decent amount of time reading that, reading the other ancient wisdom, whatever classics, and they all say the same thing. They all say that the point of life is to, and this is what modern science confirms, the intrinsic variables that drive healthy human beings who are flourishing are become a better person, deepen your personal relationships, and make a contribution to your community. Vis-a-vis -vis the extrinsic motivators that we've been seduced to pursue, which are be famous, be hot, and be wealthy, then you're going to be happy. No, dude. But again, ancient wisdom and modern science, the coherence is astonishing. But the source material on Stoicism, I find incredibly empowering because they tell you, you must embrace reality. That's rule number one of Stoicism. You can't change what is happening. And you're going to suffer if you try to. Buddhism says the exact same thing. All great teachers, Taoism, it's all the same wisdom. But I understand your irritation, the allergy to how it is packaged and marketed. <laughs> But the source of it, dude, I found it to be compelling and defective, most importantly. I also thought like Man's Search for Meaning, the Viktor Frankl book is overrated. And I'm Jewish and, and all this stuff too. And I, I literally just finished it two weeks ago. I read it again because everyone loved it so much. I think with a lot of the stoicism in, in general, it almost feels like there's so many rules to live. So how do I live? And then how do I stay grounded? There's one rule, and I'm going to apply it to your triggeredness. But it's simple, and we can bring it back to me and my experience with my son half an hour ago or whatever, and you and your experience getting triggered when someone, you know, offended you or disrespected you. The rule applies to both. So the rule of stoicism is some things are within your control and others are not, right? The things that are not within your control is how someone responds to you, the weather, the geopolitical situation in the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What is within your control and always within your control, which is the one freedom that Viktor Frankl refused to give up to the Nazis who persecuted him and his family and everyone in his community was his choice as to how he would respond to that. And there are two things we have control over, your thoughts and your behaviors, not in that order, your behaviors more so than your thoughts, because of course your thoughts can loop and all those things. But the ancient Stoics told us and modern science confirms cognitive behavioral therapy, you may think is horrible as well. Perfect. That's based on ancient Stoicism. Literally, you can trace the roots of that to that. But rule number one is some things are within your control, others are not. So if your happiness and your sense of well-being is dependent on other people, for example, liking you or treating you a certain way, you're going to suffer more than if you realize that guy's got some issues. So let me just create a half an inch of space between his opinion of me and my triggered response to him. If I can do that and accept my responsibility, which is what Frankel talked about a lot, which is my ability to respond to any given situation, we take our power back. Not only do we enjoy our lives more, we're more pleasant to be around. We can give them a pass for having a bad moment or a bad day without needing to be that guy that then spirals on in their head. But then you need to make a choice. Do you like being that guy? I don't like being the guy that yells at my kids. It's not something that I aspire to be. My dad did that for me. I feel full with that. So I commit to and I, I'm dedicated to being a better version of myself. 
even you're, you're a little bit cynical, you know, you're, but it's easier to do that than it is to step back and go, all right, what do I want? What do I want to create? What do I want to model? And what do I need to do with my own consciousness, with my own behaviors in order to create that? And by extension, a world that is positive isn't the right word, but is more noble, is more virtuous, is more loving, is more caring, courageous, all the other things that, again, the ancients talked about. We don't want to go there because <laughs> we know what that does. If they're not alive on YouTube, then I don't really care about them. If it's not on TikTok, tell them to come back on AI. No, no, no. I, and to be clear, I'm not, I am cynical, which is funny because that rhymes with Seneca. It's not hating on you. I, I think everyone has different ways of living and I, I'm just kind of like prodding and, and sharing a little how I feel and, and receiving it. I don't know if I'm fully open. I think most people actually have conversations. They're not actually open. Like I was mad at this guy from yesterday and it was a really interesting moment on the bike ride today. I try to think, let me just give him the benefit of the doubt on everything and really think how he's right on everything and I'm wrong. It was hard, but it was also powerful. It was like, okay, maybe there is more right about him than I'm giving credit, but I can understand him better. Dude, that's the practice. It gives me goosebumps. So the virtue is curiosity. And it's love, too. These are putting virtues in action, which is the essence of, of my entire life's work. I mean, again, there's so many things we can talk about there. I get goosebumps just feeling the power of what you just did. That took wisdom. It took discipline. It took love. It took courage. And it took curiosity for you to do that. All I'm suggesting is do that more often and then do it faster. Don't wait a day or two or three or a month or two or three or a year or two or three, shaming yourself, being pissed at other people. What if you could do it in a minute or two or three? or even in a moment or two or three, then life changes. And this is it. This is the eternal battle within each of us between the best and the less than awesome version of ourselves. And winning that battle is what I've dedicated my life to. And again, Socrates, the greatest battle is within yourself. The ultimate jihad isn't against external oppressors. Rumi talks about this. The ultimate jihad is within your own consciousness. And if you win that battle, then you're more capable of showing up you know, and forming those relationships, Buddhists call your experience emptiness. I'm curious, what's an example for you that took longer than a moment for you to work through? Dude, I wanted to kill myself 25 years ago. So I grew up in a family with an alcoholic father whose father was an alcoholic who killed himself. Your father killed the him. blue collar family. Oh, your grandpa. So my male lineage is what it is. My mom got married at 17, had her first kid. I came in 13 years later, youngest of five kids, raised devout Catholic super dysfunctional family. So my joke now is I lost both the genetic and the environmental lottery. I suffered a lot, dude, you know, and I know what it feels like to suffer. And I know what it feels like when I do certain things that don't help me be the man that I want to show up. You know, I think we're talking about arete. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Arete. Yeah, yeah, arete. arete. Which, you know, is a way of living, which I think you're a proponent of. And I think there are people that really resonate with that. I've had in Million Dollar Weekend, it's a similar thing around psychology of yourself and the fear of yourself and it's approaching it through a business lens but there's a lot of people's like negative self-talk and challenges and i guess i was wondering recently in the past maybe five years what is something that was a little harder than a moment to work through and how did you work through it yeah i love that i gave you one five minutes before we came on these are happening all day every day dude it's the little things that form our ability to respond to the big things that's the other thing people get wrong it's why john wooden i'm a ucla bruin right greatest coach in history, the first thing that John Wooden would have his players do was put on their socks. He wouldn't let them touch a basketball until he taught the best players of his generation to put on their socks. So if you want to handle the big things, you got to master the small things is my attitude. So when my kid upsets me or when italics upset me, I want to see how fast I can respond to that. When an individual, and my biggest challenge is coming in interpersonal relationships like you described, 
that's what keeps me up at night is this person did that. And oh my gosh, it should have gone this way. And then I showed up as a jerk or whatever. It's interesting because you're probably not going to like the way I tell the story because I responded to it in a way I'm really proud of because it was a function of the work I've done over the last 10, 20 years. But we made history, again, at the risk of being that guy. I share a fault by praising myself via John Mackey's testimonial. So I realize I'm doing that again. So we made history with Heroic as the first company to ever raise $5 million via the new SEC crowdfunding regulations, true equity fundraising. Two days before we're going to launch our app that we built with the same company that built Slack, Tinder, Uber Eats to make sure I get in all the positive things about myself. Two days before we're going to launch the app, after a year of development, we spent $5 million over the course of two years with them. I get a letter. UPS dude shows up. Yeah, I try to be nice to people. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? My team's at my house that you rode your bike out to, which is insane, by the way. Oh, uh, dude. So the team's at my house two days before I'm launching this app. We're live streaming it to like seven, 8,000 people, whatever. We've got hundreds of people. My investors coming out. Two days before I launch the app, I get a letter made out to the legal department for Heroic. I'm like, oh, we don't have a legal department. We've got great lawyers. We don't have a legal department. What's that? Heart raises, elevates, right? And then I zip open the thin letter. Letterhead is Securities and Exchange Commission. And my heart rate rises. I'm pretty sure the combination of legal department and Securities and Exchange Commission isn't a winning combo. My aura rating at the time would be skyrocketed. But anyway, that happens. I take it, I read it, and they've opened an investigation on our crowdfunding round. Two days before, I'm ready to go give my keynote, you know, launching our, our app and all that stuff. But in that moment, literally, my internal dialogue was, boom, this is what you train for. Deliberately, I, we call it flip the switch. It's what I train. We've trained 10,000 coaches from 100 countries. First thing we teach them is you got to know how to get into a physiological and psychological state of you at your best. All the great athletes, artists, performers know how to do that. So boom, I flipped the switch, took a deep breath, calmed myself down to the extent I could, read the letter. And I don't remember this, but my right-hand guy told me that apparently I said, Mr. Balshan, the heroic gods have blessed us with an opportunity to practice our philosophy. We went on a walk and by halfway through, we're laughing. I'm like, dude, this is the hero's journey. I'm on a heroic quest right when I'm about ready to celebrate something awesome. The heroic gods come in and do this with me. Completely destroyed our business for a phase. I was in the middle of raising $15 million. Two weeks later, I was going to get another $5 million via crowdfunding, and I couldn't do any of that. And I had to let go of a ton of people on our team. I had to navigate an insane storm. And then the market went from the most historically frothy capital market to the worst. Literally right at the exact time that I was going to go close the $10 million, I had to go renegotiate all these contracts, et cetera. It was the hardest time of my life. But what I did in that moment was I doubled down on my protocol. So then I got really clear. I am treating sleep like a sport. That's my secret weapon. That's what I do. I'm training deeper than I ever have. I'm meditating. I meditate at the time two hours a day, an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. I went next level with all of my practices. Whereas the old me, the one that wanted to end my own life after I dropped out of law school, had none of these skills. And I just spun around and I couldn't see how I could show up in the face of the challenges I faced. Super long answer to your short question, but that's a um, positive expression. I can go back further and share more of negative kind of experiences, but now it's significant for me. The firm we hired to get us through is the best in the world. We navigated that process in eight months. The average is 24 months. And then they hired me to keynote their partner talk at the end of it to tell them the things that I did to navigate it in our team, to navigate it the way that we did, which is frankly one of the things I'm most proud of.
that the philosophy works when you work it. And I try to do the things that we're talking about right now. What do you tell yourself during hard moments? Dude, I don't curse in public, but let's go with a middle in between. As my coach says, bring it on. Most people avoid their problems. Scientists say, I don't know if scientists are more appealing to you, and I playfully am pushing back on you. Scientists say, if you avoid your problems, you're going to suffer. If you approach your problems with a bring it on attitude, literally is what they say, your entire underlying physiology changes. You go from a threat response where you don't think you can handle life's challenges to a challenge response. And instead of having innervating neurochemicals going through your body, you actually get the energy you need to show up and perform. So literally, my mantra is bring it on. Another mantra is obstacles make me stronger. So in Buddhism, there's OM. My thing is no, 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 no. Obstacles make me stronger. Ohms. My coach, again, Phil Stutz has one. I love pain is how he puts it. Pain, uncertainty, hard work, never going away. Our story that we should create a life in which we never have pain, uncertainty, or hard work is arguably the greatest source of our suffering. So literally, I say to myself, I love pain, I love uncertainty, I love hard work. And then I lean in and I do what needs to get done. And then it's no longer thinking, it's doing. I try to get out of my head and I try to figure out the tiniest little thing I can do that would help me solve whatever problem I have. And for me, it was, the again, the basic fundamentals. That's what I go to when I get spun around. And again, this is the app. We built the app to do this, to help you get clear on who you are at your best and to do it when you're at your worst. Then life changes. What used to kill you now literally makes you stronger. Again, not to be Pollyannish about it, but it, it works. Who were you before you became a philosopher? Dude, biographically, I'm the youngest of five. I'm scared of everything. My first grade picture is my sweatshirt's just sucked through. It's soaking wet. I was just anxious about everything. Just I brought extra shirts to high school because I'd sweat through my first shirt within the first hour of school, afraid of everything. Again, super conservative, blue collar Catholic. I had to debate my dad at 12 and explain to him that Jesus was in fact Jewish. I literally got the Bible. I'm like, no, no, look, Christianity, like 75% of whatever is Judaism, like really conservative, not thinking about this. First generation college student, but I had none of these skills. I had the intensity, but the way I framed it up when I dropped out of law school was I felt like I had all this energy that I have now, like a fire hydrant of energy going up against a glass kind of wall, and it was just coming right back on me. And I couldn't figure out how I could bring this in a meaningful way. You know, I threw up on my way home from work in my first week at Arthur Anderson back in the day. I worked in their audit, oh, wow. their tax practice, their consulting business, and I'm on the 405, dude, driving home from work third day of work. I'm like, dude, there's no way I want to do this. I pull over on the, in the middle of traffic, 6 p.m., and I throw up on the side of the freeway. I was that guy. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And for whatever set of reasons, I have a very low tolerance for doing stuff that I know I don't want to do. I trusted myself enough to take risk and to try to create a life of meaning, you know? You seem like you do have a, you have a lot of hustle in you. Do you think every, that's available for everyone? How do you define hustle? There's a lot of ways we can define hustle. The level of intensity and how far you're willing to go on the things you're working on. Like I've seen you do it in philosopher notes. I've seen you do it with Zads. I've seen you do it on this book project. And sometimes I wonder, did you get some magic bean or is it a mentality or is it a practice or is it something that you found that, okay, I just really believe in this and the level of sustained intensity that you can provide is higher than most? Is that a trained thing? So I'm curious how you think about it. What a great question. 
Well, so then the answer to the question is, I don't know, would be the only honest answer to the question. I think there's some grace. There has to be a genetic component to my ambition and my drive. My mom's influenced me deeply. She once grabbed me at 10 years old. I did something she didn't like. And she said, very devout Catholic, God gave you gifts. You need to give them to the world. That's a visceral thing for me. I believe that's true. I believe we've all been given gifts. And then, dude, I, I jokingly told a friend, I'm like a neuron. I either fire or I don't. And so when I go in, I'm all in. And as you know, I got Arte tattooed on one arm. I got heroic tattooed on the other arm. But I feel like this is what I've trained for. I've spent 25 years preparing for this. I think that my ability to integrate some wisdom has helped a lot of people and can help more people. Frankly, I haven't put myself out there. I've been a hermit. I've been reading. I've been writing. I've been thinking. No, I created a lot of philosopher's notes. And now it, it's time to play my role as well as I can and to help as many people as we can. I'm passionate about creating a public benefit corporation at scale, using the best of social and persuasive technology at scale with our social training platform. And then, dude, it's fun. You know, I find that I, I have more fun when I'm willing to go all in, maintain the non-attachment. Science says that zest, this sense of enthusiasm and vitality, is the number one virtue most highly correlated with your flourishing. So in my life and in my work, this is what we focus on. We get people to be and to show up as their most energized, energetic selves so they can show up powerfully in their work and their love. But the stability that I have now and the ability to ground my intensity in an energized tranquility and hopefully a calm confidence, that's trained. That's all learned. I used to be really up, really down, felt no sense of agency. And I wasn't aware that I was completely unaware of those things yeah. yeah tell me by the way your veins are popping like what are you doing what, so what vegetables are you eating is this like broccoli so three things on that one no sugar so i eat no sugar no refined food in general which will be refined carbs it's insulin at the end of the day just to have the lean vascularization zero would be it's my body structure so my joke is the, the bruce lee style of all right lean whatever but then it's no sugar and then it I do burpees. So my thing is I do 110 burpees a day, every single day. I do pull-ups, 10 pull-ups every day, a thousand meters of rowing every day. And then it's blood flow resistance training is no joke. So I wear these little bands that apparently do things beyond make you look ridiculous with vascularization, increasing whatever it does. My wife can tell you, I just do what she tells me to do. But I think it's those three things, zero sugar, refined carbs. I train body weight, et cetera. And then the, um, BFR, blood flow restriction, leads to uh, whatever you see there. Nice. That's interesting. Is it all body weight exercises? Completely. I never lift a thing unless I'm carrying. As you know, we live out, we got a half mile loop on our property. We've got like 25 pound dumbbells kind of at different places I'll pick up and just to carry heavy things, Peter Atia approved style, blah, blah, blah. But otherwise, 100% body weight and not a lot. I do 11 burpees at a time. But I do 10 sets of those burpees. I row a thousand meters. I do 10 pull-ups and I do it every single day. But I train, frankly, as little as I possibly can to just feel great and to show up consistently and all the other things. Consistency over a long period of time is really the only recipe I've seen for like massive success, probably in all areas, not just business, right? Self, relationships, it's like consistent. And just sticking with it, man. Sometimes yeah. lately, I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, there's times where you're like, oh, dude, am I going to keep doing this? Okay, what's going on? And how do we adjust it? And then how do we stick with it? And then it has really produced the results. I wish everyone has that out there. 
the results for your book so far, you sent me some of your numbers for Arete. Yep, tongue twister, baby. Arete. I know, dude. Did you have other options for this name, like Stoic Life? Yeah, dude. Thug Life Stoics. My opinion is this word should have never fallen out of our cultural vernacular. And I'm going to play my role to do what I can to bring it back. And heroic too, by the way. The idea of heroism is completely shifted from what the ancients considered it to what we think about it as reserved for the few on a movie screen or on a sports field. So we want to rebrand both what it means to live heroically and also what it means to live with virtue. What's the opposite of a hero? What's the like worst word you can call someone else? I have a word in mind. A victim is how what immediately comes to mind. So the victim complains, criticizes, gossips, frankly falls into cynicism and nihilism and just wants to give up. Dude, stop talking about me. I'm right here. I can hear I love you. you. I love you, brother. I'm just, <laughs> well, let's go. All right. So we all get hit, all of us, in our own idiosyncratic way. Yeah. We've all experienced trauma. We all are currently facing challenges, full stop. So to me, it's victim to creator to hero. And the shift between victim and creator is simple. Rather than complaining about all the things you aren't getting, slow down, ask yourself, what do I want? Victor Frankl, he wanted to play his role well in the midst of a concentration camp. He's a therapist in a concentration camp. So what did he do? He offered therapy and support and service to those who were going through horrific experiences. So the victim to creator to hero shift is, what do I want and what am I going to do about it? Whether that's in your energy, your work, your love, your family, your community, your country, stop complaining and step up. My whole thing is be the hero we've been waiting for. Quit looking outside yourself. One of the chapters in the book is my all-time favorite hero. And I say, all right, here's a hint. Go look in the mirror. It's you. We just need you to step up and start acting like it. And that's how I frame up and juxtapose hero vis-a-vis victim. Of course, you can do it in an infinite number of ways. What's your antonym? I like that victim one. That's a good one. I, I think being a coward. And maybe they're, they're synonymous, right? When you're a coward, you're unwilling to face the responsibilities or the challenges in front of you. Yeah, I can't say Aristotle again, but Aristotle tells us the most important virtue is courage. Tell me about John Mackey. Tell me about Bezos. Tell me about... These guys didn't have social media blowing up their brains, you know? Courage was the most important virtue in Aristotle's mind. Because if you aren't willing to act in the presence of fear, and today I'm interviewing the scientist who wrote a book called The Courage Quotient, who confirms, I'll talk about him, Robert B. Diener. He's the son of Ed Diener, who's one of the founders of the positive psychology movement. Beautiful man who helped us understand the science of these ideas. But courage comes from the Latin or ancient word for heart. So just as your heart pumps blood to your arms and legs and, and other you know, vital organs, courage is the virtue that vitalizes all your other virtues. If you aren't willing to act in the presence of fear, this is all nonsense. Everything we're talking about is just more theory. And so, again, the Stoics said, we don't need more logic chopping. We need more action. They were warriors of the mind, not librarians. Everyone today is just cataloging ideas and having fun intellectual conversations, and very few of them are doing the hard work to actually show up and practice in the moment they need it. At the end of the day, coward is synonymous with, in many ways, victim, and the virtues we need to embody. And again, I haven't said it out loud, and if I may, arete is the one word answer all of those guys Noah doesn't want to talk about Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, and the Stoics would give <laughs> how to live a good life. If you ask them, hey guys, how do I live a good life? They'd say arete. We translate that as virtue or excellence, but it means something closer to being your best self, moment to moment. And I draw a line. If this is what you're capable of being, 
in that interaction with the individual yesterday with my son, if you're capable of being this and you're actually being this and there's a gap between who you could have been in the moment and who you're actually being, it's in that gap in which regret, anxiety, disillusionment, depression exists. It's more nuanced than that. But in that moment, if you live with Arte, if you close the gap and express the best version of yourself, you will experience what they call eudaimonia, which means a deep sense of flourishing and joy. I do want to talk about the marketing of your books. I'm really curious. You said pre-sales, you're at 14,000 books for Arate, which people should check out if they like your messages and they're more curious. It's, it should be out November 14th, November. It comes out November 14th. Yep. Tell me about the hustle there and like walk me through how you're able to do that. Because I see it. and I'm like, dude, this guy's got some heart. I love it. You know what it is, though? I've helped people. So we made history, as I said, with the first $5 million crowdfunding. When I sent out an email through our community that I've been serving as profoundly as I can for the last 15 years, I've been doing what I'm doing, what I'm talking about right now, the philosopher's notes, et cetera. I sent out an email, and in 24 hours, we had $5 million of expressed interest in investment. In 100 hours, we had $10 million. I get tears in my eyes thinking about it. I got a stack of notes on my table of people telling me why they believed in me and wanted to support us. So I've played the long game. I have not done any of the bullshit, to use that word, that most people do in internet marketing. Let me hustle you. Let me get the conversions up by a half a percent or a percent and a half. But at the end of that experience, the individual on the other side of it may buy your product or may not, but they had this residue of that guy just did that thing to me. I haven't done that. What I've tried to do is help people. With the fundraising, it seemed to be that we had helped people. They believed in me. With the book marketing, it's the same thing. I asked for help. And the, if you look at the numbers, 14,000 copies sold. It's almost exactly Pareto. So we sent out a VIP box. We have the book, a t-shirt, and some other stuff. And uh, if you buy 10 copies of the book, right? 85% of the books were purchased by 25% of the people. It's almost exactly Pareto. Hmm. So we've had people buy 10, 25, 50, 100, 1,000 copies of the book. And we launched it before Black Friday strategically because I wanted the book to be the preferred holiday gift. We have 3,000 investors. We've got 10,000 people that have gone through our coach program. So we wanted it to be a holiday gift. And then we did a bunch of other things. All right, cool. You can give them the book and we'll give everyone that you give the book to an annual membership to Heroic. So we've been creative as intense as I am right now. I've been in the promotion. And I've told him, look, we want to create a movement of people thinking about these ideas more deeply and expressing them in their own idiosyncratic ways. And I believe this book can help us catalyze the movement. So I have very transparently shared our ambition. I want to be a number one New York Times bestseller that sticks in the top 10. And then I say, and I need your help. And oh, by the way, you invested in our business. This will help your investment. Let's go. Now's the time. Let's catalyze the movement. So I've been this intense in asking for help, and we've been blessed to get the help. And then, you know, we've got a great publishing partner and the team's just been hustling and working hard, 18 days to launch, but it's like, all right, we got a lot of work to do. Frankly, getting on the list isn't the hard part, right? I'm proud of that, whatever. It's sticking. How do we stick in weeks two, three, four, five, six? That's the game I'm really playing. And that's going to be significantly harder to do. But I appreciate you recognizing it. I have so much respect for you and how you've shown up and your creativity and your really iconoclastic approach to marketing and doing the same things at the highest level of creating true value and doing it in an iconoclastic, creative way. But even the book, dude, it's a thousand pages long. It's two pounds. It's a dense brick of a book. And I broke almost every rule in this. I walked away from a deal with a 
top three publisher because we got into a true argument over 10,000 words. We're finalizing the contract and we're, we're arguing about whether I'm going to go from whatever it was, 70 or 80,000 words to 90,000. I'm like, wait a second, 160,000 words, dude. It's 451 of the best ideas I've ever studied in a thousand page book. Each chapter is two to three pages long, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we tried to channel Steve Jobs, make it insanely great, make the marketing super creative, his four rules of product development and launches and all that stuff. He's on my wall, barking at me as one of my heroes, blah, 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 blah. I like that you have yourself on the wall. For the people who can't see on the podcast, like you have a hero wall and yourself is there, which is cool. I have my wife, I have my daughter, Eleanor, and then my son, Emerson. When you join our team, the very first thing we do is ask you for a picture of yourself that you think captures you at your best. So that's a picture of me right before I'm filming our coach certification content in which I flip the switch, I'm about ready to go, and I'm really proud of that particular session. But every person who joins our team sends us that picture of them, and then we send them that heroic portrait. And then we say, we are committed to creating the context through which you can show up as your best self, and you are committing to us that you're going to do your best to show up as that version of yourself. So it's been a powerful thing for me to see that representation of myself, you know, surrounded by individuals that push me, they bark at me all day, dude. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves, and the person that we think of ourselves as, and then how much that's actual reality that we behave in. And so I like that you look at yourself and surround yourself in this wall. And in general, I think that's great. People are going to go get Arate and your website's great. I bought the book already. I think I told you that. What is the one thing you want people to take away? I think that that's kind of the reality for all these books. Like in Million Dollar Weekend, we have all these beta readers. And it, surprisingly, it's this mindset about, and I won't give it away that people have to get the book, but it's this mindset that gets them to take action immediately. And I was like, that's the thing. So I'm, I'm curious, what do you think the thing is going to be for Arate and that'll help it stick and, and that you want people to take away the one thing? Yeah, it's a combo of things. It would be, you are the hero we've been waiting for. You know, when we watch these movies, we see the hero on the screen. It, it's simply kindling that knowledge that we have something within us that can be expressed. Joseph Campbell's ideas. You are the hero we've been waiting for. You can be the hero of your story rather than the victim. And then here's how. That would be the sequence on the ancient wisdom, modern science, moving from theory to practice to mastery is our big thing. Everything I do is based on ancient wisdom, proven modern science, and the framework has been proven. We've worked with leading well-being labs to prove the efficacy of it. So that idea of agency, the vision of a better future, a sense that I can be my best self and then the path to do it is a non-answer in terms of one, one thing, but kind of that gestalt of a felt sense of connection to our best selves. Yeah. Sometimes though, it's so nice to sulk. We want to wallow. I want to, I've been playing chess and I'm just like, hey, it's okay. You want to feel like a little baby? Let's just fucking go. <laughs> and I don't want to keep it going accidentally, but like being okay with that for a bit. And then to your point, and I love it, man. It's just like, how are you taking your power back? That's something me and my buddy always chat about. How are you being a hero? And this book is a little bit of the kick in the ass. And one other comment I've got to give you props for is as I'm doing my book as well, I'm noticing people want to help me. And I'm like, I'm a little surprised. Hmm. It's not all of them, but some people. And some people are like, dude, I've appreciated what you've done and how you've helped for so long. It is a great reminder. Like, even if you're putting out free content, ideally it's helpful. Or you're asking people, hey, can I help you today? Or you're just sending someone a positive message. There's a guy, Matt, who I really like his YouTube videos, Matt Diavella. I just like, yo, I love your videos, man. And you've done ones on books. And if I can send you one, he's like, yeah, dude, that's awesome. I was like, hmm. 
Okay. So as much as we want, there is marketing, there is strategy, there's bulk order, your the Arete website, it's heroic.us looks great. But again, it's coming back to all these people are doing it. I think ultimately books succeed because of word of mouth, but initially it's because you have helped all these people get results and impact their lives, which uh, is a great reminder for myself and for others out there. Yeah. And I appreciate your humility, dude. And again, I, we've got to know each other more over the last whatever years, but just legends is a silly word to use, but dude, you've done great things and you've helped a lot of people and you've been super generous and super um, good. You've strived to be good. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate doing what we just did. I really just want to celebrate you pushing me, you know what I mean? And, and then allowing me to push you. I never act like this. I'm usually a nice guy that's like doing whatever. So this has been really fun for me to be pushed and to go there. I just wanted to frame that up because it's um, joy to be real and to feel your intensity and your willingness to call me out and also to, to move with me as I push back. That is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as we did making it for you. Go check out Brian's new book, Arete, Activate Your Heroic Potential. Dun, dun, dun. And also you can find Brian on social media at HeroicBrian on Twitter and Instagram. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's chat life together. And before you go, tweet or Instagram in my DMs at Noah Kagan. Let me know what you think of this episode. We're also hiring for the YouTube channel. So hit me up on Instagram. Uh, we're looking for an editor for our long videos and our short videos. Just hit me up on Instagram. Also, if you don't have one of these scheduling tools, I use it for customer calls. I use it for podcast guests. I use tidycal.com. We built it because I hate subscriptions. That's why we run appsumo.com. You can also use it to charge people to talk to you. People are making six figures a year doing this. That's tidycal.com. Com. Finally, a couple shout outs to the amazing team who helped make all this happen. Special shout out to Jason at podcasttech.com. Sending you mucho big ass love this week. I know you got a lot going on. Appreciate you for always being there and what you're going through. Thank you to Jeremy, Cam, Tommy, and Sylvie from the Dork team for all the magic y'all do. And everyone else at AppSumo that just makes all this fun ass magic happen. Have a wealthy day. What's your favorite quote?